Hello and welcome everyone to The Real Episode 25. I jumped the gun a bit last week thinking Episode 25 was last week. It's actually right here today. We have Episode 25. My name is Andrew Cox. I'm here with Mr. Kevin Hill. We're here to discuss where finance meets freight and everything in between. And we have a lot of finance to discuss today, Kevin, don't we? It is the beginning of earnings season. We do. It's just that special season. There's no sports. So this is the only season that we have are earning seasons. I know. So, people, somebody needs to open up a, a booking line. Somebody needs to open up a, a, a betting book so somebody can get their uh, their betting their betting. Well, I think it's off. called a stock market. I know, but it'd be more fun if we, uh, I guess they trade options and stuff. But, yeah, trade options. All right. It'd be fun. Yeah. Either way. All right. Let's yeah, that's jump. one thing that, that we haven't had since uh, quarantine What's is that? discussions about options. And, and, you know, I'm kind of missing it a little bit. And we went from hating ourselves in our group there. Everybody talked about options mm-hmm. nonstop uh, in our little finance group in the corner. But now, you know, I'm kind of missing those boys talking options all the time. I'm I, with I you. I'm with you. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, an update to last week's long short as we've been doing. Uh, last week, we talked about retail sales. They came out on uh, on Thursday. We were asking whether we thought it would be down double digits uh, when, the, when, the, when the number came out. The consensus was about 7, 7% down. We both went long. We both thought mm-hmm. that it would be down uh, more than double digits. It came in a little bit less than that. It was actually down 8.7%, but that's an understated number, isn't it, Kevin? I, I think it is because uh, survey-based data, and we went over it, uh, earlier today on the the coronavirus freight market update that we do at noon Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, but with that, it's a survey. So a survey base. It's taken basically in the, the the middle of the month. So that's a reflection of the middle of March, and it got worse since then. You have this great graph from J.P. Morgan, uh, real time data on credit card and debit card transactions. And what do we have there? Yeah, they, they didn't give an aggregate number, but they did break it down into four categories. They had travel and entertainment, which were down 100%. They had retail, which was down less than I thought. It was only down about 15 or 20%. They mm-hmm. also had restaurants. Uh, restaurants and whatnot. That was down significantly, something like 75 or 65 or 70%. And then we also had uh, purchasing from grocery stores and supermarkets. And that was up uh, roughly 10 or 15% as I, of the end so. of March, but it had a big surge there at the beginning of March when everybody did that panic buying. It, it did, and, and the, the graph wasn't too detailed, so it was hard no. to tell if it was 50% or 10% or, or 20%, but there, there's quite a, few, quite a few takeaways from that, and I think that's what we'll see going forward in the April numbers whenever those come out in um, – Actually, pretty well. Now it'd be coming out the end of the month. Two, the yeah, beginning two or three. Of, beginning of May, two, three you know, weeks, as, yes. there as we had a we had a lag in March where we, you know, the they all of the surveys were taken at the beginning of the month. But now we're going to see a true impact because these are taken at the beginning of April, in which things are are really bad uh, across all sectors of the economy. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get into some more of the economy here in a bit. An, another continuation of a new segment we had was one good piece. Uh, again, this is my quest to find one good piece of data in this time of horrible data, and it is. Let me tell you how difficult this is. It has been, it has been a difficult task. Last week we talked about Wuhan auto sales, so it was a mm-hmm. a, a couple of, especially actually, they were fine car dealerships. I think they were Audi and Mercedes, but either way, there was a bunch of dealerships in Wuhan, the epicenter, the original epicenter of COVID nineteen, that were saying that. Post uh, that they had already returned to pre-crisis levels of auto sales and auto demand, and there was a bunch of read-through there. But you know, for me, I took it as it, it could be a little bit of good, a good news that uh, that durable goods demand could snap back pretty quick. It, it is. It's it's a glimmer of hope or, or green shoots, as they say, yep. uh, as economists say, uh, green shoots that that if auto sales uh, came back so strong in, in Wuhan that it could happen here, and you know what, it could. 
It could, you know, there's, could. there's other read throughs. It could be that that Chinese people genuinely just think that riding in cars right now, riding in a personal car, is safer than riding public transport because of the you know social distancing mm-hmm. and everything. Which that could be true either. But this week we've got another one good piece, and this is. It's truly sad that this is my one good piece because I have I've had such trouble finding one that my one good piece is not so much a good thing. It's that bad things have stopped happening, and that's in our freight freight volume. So the Alpine Tinder Alpine Tinder volume index has seemed to stabilize, Kevin. It, we've it only, seemed we've to only fallen two percent in the yeah, last week. So, so it spent most of March running up thirty percent, which is a, a record high, uh, by far a record high, and then it spent uh, most of April sliding down off a cliff. Uh, back to year-over-year levels, and then down. I think what four what, we're another another 14%? ten or fifteen percent down yeah, after so, that. So yeah. basically, we were fourteen percent. I think on Friday, we're not quite at fourteen percent anymore, which is good. And we've seen some leveling off. Let's hope that this trend continues and. Uh, maybe the worst is over right now. Yeah, it's kind of bleak to to celebrate just a slowing of a decline, but that's what we're celebrating right now. The good news is there are some states that are opening back up this week. Even Georgia has announced that they're going to try to open up some some businesses. I'll keep my opinions of whether they should or should not out of it, but it's it is a good sign for freight volumes. Yeah, it is a good sign. So you have Georgia's Tennessee, or is Tennessee? Tennessee is opening up some things. I, some I don't things. think. I think their plan is a little, uh, a little less bit concrete, more slower yeah. than. But I think Texas is is actually opening up as well. Kind of on the same timeline as Georgia, so that's two two large states that that will be entering. Hopefully, demand will, will pick up uh, there. Uh, as far as a real macro look, you still have New York and California, kind of the West Coast and East Coast, where the the, the population centers are are going to be. Uh, they're going to be closed uh, much longer than than Georgia and Texas. So where do you stand in the Strickland Fuller uh, debate? What is their number? Ninety three hundred, and I think you guys 90, had it on the coronavirus. May fifteenth. May fifteenth. Yeah, on the coronavirus uh, freight market update, uh, Craig called in our CEO here at at Freightwaves and talked to Zach Strickland, who's our director of business uh, or director of freight, freight market. market intelligence. There you go. And and they had a a, a wager. May fifteenth, uh, that OTVI would be above ninety three hundred. Yeah, where do you stand? Uh, I would take the short end of that. Okay, so I'm probably in Strickland's uh, camp. I am as well, uh, Team Strickland. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, you and jump? the reason for that really yeah, yeah. is that there's just a lot of unknowns. So much out uncertainty. There. I think a, a lot of a lot of the economy won't open up until the end of May. Now, whether that's the East Coast, West Coast, I just mentioned, or major retailers that have been closed, they're closed before the state's closed down, I think because of liability issues and, and really sales revenue uh, questions, that I think they're going to be later to open up than the state's. Yeah, we spend a lot of time trying to decipher, you know, what percentage of, of freight volumes is retail and what percentage of it is is X, Y, and Z. So this is going to be a, a testing of those of those uh, theses on 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 how much gets opened up when it comes back online. It, it will, and it feeds back into Wuhan too, and the auto sales, right? So if auto sales in May are depressed and don't really recover anything, or or at the bare minimum, then you're going to see below ninety three hundred, if not. Uh, oil, I'm just giving up all hope on. Yeah, you know, negative. It closed yesterday at negative thirty-seven dollars a barrel. Yeah, the, I had to explain futures. to my father how that that could happen. Yeah, it and was it's, a it's it's, head scratcher. Yeah, it's, it's almost like if you um, if you had to call the the uh, someone to haul away your junk, and they're going to charge you to haul away their junk, 
or your junk mm-hmm. to the junkyard. You're, you're paying someone to, 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 to take that contract off your hands. And what we've seen in West, Western Oklahoma and Western Texas over the last few months, too, is natural gas has actually been negative at the, the terminals and wellheads out there. So you have to pay people to, 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 to get it out. Get it off your hands. So we'll have that. We'll have a full oil debate here about uh, you know the full recovery of oil prices here in a couple minutes. We'll we'll do that towards the back end of the show. Mm-hmm. But let's. Uh, it is earnings season. Let's test the season to hop into a, some of the earnings. You know, we've only it had is. a week or so uh, mm-hmm. of, of earnings reports, so we haven't had that many companies report yet. Most of them will be coming up in the two weeks. But we have three in particular here that we're going to discuss. The first one is JB Hunt. So let's jump right in. I mean, they had really solid results given the volatility in Q1. Uh, here I'll rip off some numbers for you. Yes. So they had a couple one-time uh, one-time charges that if you actually pull out the one-time charges they had year-over-year growth in uh, in EPS um, if you leave those in they were down three percent so it's still a solid number and those those one-time charges were 12.3 million which was actually for increased employee compensation to get through COVID-19 which is which is great on there and it's uh, part of the, the $500 bonuses to drivers right correct. It's part of that incentive plan correct and then they had an 8.2 million dollar accrual that they owed to BNSF and they had three three million dollars in uh, expedited compensation to early executive retirement. So, but if you pull those out, you really have a really great quarter for J.B. Hunt. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, J.B. Hunt is, is well positioned uh, to go through, especially, you know, March. March was a, a good month for a company like J.B. Hunt because even with intermodal volumes plummeting, that they still had, they still increased the revenue because they, they, they have a, a nice corner of the business on on intermodal uh truckload dedicated uh final mile uh, was big as well and in brokerage uh where you saw you know constricting margins on on up volumes yeah. which we'll see the opposite of going into april is going to be far you know the volumes could be far less but the margins should expand, especially I think they're up to about 75% contract business in their brokerage. So as those, those contract rates remain stable for uh, some length of time, mm-hmm. it might be very short. It might be a little bit longer than, than we might think. But as far as those, those contracts, it be less volume. Contract rates are going to stay about the same. And the spot rates have, as you detail every Thursday in the DHL supply chain pricing power index, they're plummeting right now, uh, which is horrible. But uh, that is what's happening. So you're going to have an expanding margin. I think their margin got cut from... Yeah, it got cut uh, down. Last quarter, sequentially, it was 10.6%. It's down a whole percentage point, down to 9.6%. But compared Mm -hmm. to last year, it's actually down from 16.5%. So it's a really big year-over-year declines in the operating margin. But they also had... They still are claiming some cost to... To rolling out that 360 to really scaling up the, yes. the 360 marketplace. So that's still at not that's still not at full scale. They're not really reaping the benefits quite yet, but they will here in the coming years. Yeah, and you, you would think that margins would contract, oh, and, and especially in March, right? When, when you have record levels of freight moving to restock, everything's expedited. Everything has to get off the the, the docks and get into to the store shelves. That uh, basically, when you have contract rates, spot rates are going to come up. Your margins are going to constrict. That's one part of the, the cycle, right. and second quarter will be a, a 
probably a different story. Yeah, it'll probably be the quickest switch of cycles, the quickest mm-hmm. uh, you know peak to trough or, or po- trough to peak rather uh, in the cycle that we've seen in recent history. But like I just said a minute ago, uh, as you mentioned a minute ago, that JB Hunt's really well positioned uh, to move forward through quarter two. Mm-hmm. Uh, nearly sixty-five percent of their operating costs are represented by purchased transportation and fuel expense, which you know are both falling fast and they're both variable costs. Uh, that's that's that cost structure that they'll probably be able to draw down. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've and they've also got uh, they've also got a big revolver that they haven't really touched. They have got plenty of liquidity to make through it. Uh, so yeah, they're they're pretty well positioned to get through this. Yeah, they 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 definitely are. They're, they're kind of the the, the bellwether, and they're they're always the first to report. And that's uh, a prime position. So everyone has to to follow in their footsteps. And if you're if you're wondering what we're talking about, you know, this the cycles. There's four cycles to the freight brokerage. We have a paper out. Freight Intel Group here at uh, Freight Waves, and you can find that with a subscription to, to Sonar or to Passport. That's right. And so that's a over, overall. Let's put our, our wrapping touches on on JB Hunt. A really good quarter Q1. Q2 is likely going to be a little bit more difficult for them, even though uh, you know they'll have they'll have falling volumes. I mean, at least the early start of Q2 will, will likely be a little bit more difficult for everyone in the industry. You agree? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know how I could disagree. Okay, because I mean, you, you, uh, yeah. you gave me your uh, your disagreement look. So no, I no, no. I, I, okay. I, I completely agree. Did they have any guidance? I, I, I can't remember if they or did I they believe, kind of withdraw guidance. Which I think, I think, they, is I be think a they withdrew theme. guidance. That's yeah. it is a common theme. We've seen that uh, we've seen that from Kansas City Southern, which is the next company mm-hmm. we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, you're, you're going to see a lot of companies if they're not if, if they don't pull guidance, they'll just say nothing, kind of like XBO did, and just kind of expect yeah. the analysts to to draw down their expectations. Which we'll talk about XBO uh, as the third company, but. As I mentioned here, is Kansas City Southern. They had an incredible, uh, an incredible first quarter. They are just continuing to reap the benefits of this transition to PSR. They were one of the mm-hmm. later ones to do it, but they are really doing an incredible job with PSR. Their Q1 EPS was up 30% year over year, which absolutely smashed the street estimates uh, by more than 20%. Uh, they just continued to demonstrate significant efficiency gains from PSR. You know, their train velocities were up 26%. Their dwell time at terminals was down 9%. You know, they're running much less trains at a much higher speed, mm-hmm. and they're doing it really well. It's, you know, rails are, are a fascination to me because they're the only ones that they continuously decline in revenue. Yeah. <laughs> ORs go up, and they become more profitable, and EPS goes up, and basically, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, okay. and... and, and and then they just crush their numbers every year on yeah. on declining business. I think there's a point to make about this. You know, people have this flywheel has come into business discussion at least in the last few years for me that I hadn't really heard about it. But this PSR flywheel is something to make mention of because I, it's it's absolutely fascinating to me. If you you know you run fewer trains, you have longer links, you have fewer delays because of that, you have fewer mechanical problems because you're running less trains, you have reduced fuel consumption because you're running less trains, you have less equipment purchases, all of these things, and that ultimately leads to a lower headcount. It does. You know, I, I, I see this, the, their OR operating ratio was 59.7% this quarter. I mean, how, how much lower can you go? I know. I mean, I mean you, you still are a railroad company. I mean, you can't have SaaS, you know, software as a service type of margin. You can't have 90% ORs, can you? I mean, it's just, uh, it's bonkers. It's 60% OR on a, on a, on a company this size. Um, but nevertheless, all of this good news, they have withdrew guidance, as we just mentioned a, m- a moment ago. Uh, they've withdrew guidance for everything, revenue, EPS, uh, operating ratio. Um, but 
just like J.B. Hunt, they're also you know one of these bellwethers. They're pretty well positioned. They've got a lot of liquidity and they've got a lot of variable costs that they can draw down. Like as you said, this is just a fascination that that they can get lower volumes, they can get lower revenues, and yet they still keep bringing in consistently higher uh, operating income. They're able to cut costs in line or lower than with volumes. Mm-hmm. It's just and awesome. they have a, a really healthy Mexico piece of their business uh, going back and forth on the border. And I believe Mexico's auto manufacturing facilities and most of their manufacturing, Macadores is what they call them, are, are basically offline until the end of May. Is that right? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, so uh, that's going to be a, a very team. slow growth. So April and May are going to be tough months, but, uh, you know, it's a railroad, so they probably have a way. Yeah, to, they, to, they've to got so many work. levers they can pull to, you know, to, to, to draw down costs and, and make sure that they're still well positioned, which is impressive. Uh, another, you know, a less impressive note is, is XBO. We, the, we can talk a little bit. We're actually going to talk more about the letter that Brad Jacobs wrote yes. to shareholders rather than so much their, uh, their quarterly results. Because I think the letter, one, because Brad Jacobs is, is one of the best in the industry and, and we have a lot of respect for him here at Freightwaves, but because the letter has a lot of, a lot of read-throughs to the rest of the industry. Uh, so Brad Jacobs, again, released a letter to his shareholders last Thursday, and he wrote that it would be a lost year for the industry. Quote, lost year. Kevin, what, do you agree with him? Do you think it's going to be a lost year? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think everyone should be probably somewhat in agreement with that. That uh, it's going to be tough to, to climb out of this. I mean, basically, it's not going to go on for months of getting worse and worse, but climbing back out of this, uh, no matter what route we take, is is getting back up to near, you know, say above ninety percent of of the economy that we had before mm-hmm. is going to take months upon months, and probably won't get here until twenty twenty one. I think uh, I, I think in that respect, that's a description of a lost year, and I think he's right with getting out ahead of it, acknowledging it, and preparing for the future. One thing he did, one thing he did not acknowledge was their guidance. They didn't make any changes to it. They kind of just uh, let it go and allowed the analysts to uh, change their own expectations, which every analyst has cut guidance for XBO and for pretty much the entire industry because, as he said, it will be a lost year. You know. The thing, the thing about LTL, the thing about uh, XPO, that it's kind of difficult. But we, it's kind of difficult to comp the drawdowns and tonnage. We, we only really have one instructive comparison there, and that's that's 2008, 2009. And if you want to look back at XPO's predecessor, Conway, the LTL mm-hmm. company they bought a couple years ago, they saw they saw tonnage fall down at nearly 13 percent in the first quarter of 2009. 2009 and ODFL, their biggest competitor, saw uh, nearly 15 percent drawdowns. Kevin, do you think that we're going to see? that level of drawdown in LTL tonnage uh, for XBO, or do you think it'll be a little bit less? I, you know, I, I think it's going to be pretty comparable. I, I do. And, and, and Final Mile is is separated from that, right? Correct, and yes. Kind of, so so I, I do think that we, on the LTL side, we probably will see a sharp decline, even though e-commerce is, is, is everyone's... Um, positive note, I, I think you'll, you'll still see the drawdowns. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we quite get to that level, but I agree. I think we probably see double-digit decline in volumes mm-hmm. uh, for XBO. I mean, it, it's just it's hard not to believe that they wouldn't have that. I mean, consumer, like we talked about earlier, consumer spending is way down, which yeah. you know they rely heavily on e-commerce. Uh, but that is, you know, although they rely heavily on it, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good point for them moving forward through this COVID-19 thing. It, it is. It's a very good point, and, and they won't see as significant drawdowns as... as as other, you know, especially truckload carriers, so we'll likely see in the second quarter. Uh, but but I think 
consumer spending's down across the board. It is shifting. What is being bought is shifting more and more toward e-commerce, especially right now. And that's what his positive note in his letter was all about. Uh, but but still, that you know, it's almost like if it's ten percent down, that's a positive note, which is kind of weird to say. Yeah, but isn't it? I, I I think it it could go that way. Yes. There's one other point about uh, Jacob's letter that I'd like to bring up, and and that was really. That his letter was very cautious, and he exerted caution that that this was going to be a terrible year. But it was encouraging when I heard him speak about uh, XBO's efforts to protect its employees and to ensure that supply chains were going to remain open to their customers. He, he made sure that he was going to take care of employees; they were going to do their best not to lay off anybody, um, and that they were going to ensure that the supply chains were open, especially for those supply uh, for those medical supplies and and the food that needs to get in uh, to help frontline workers. I like you, Brad Jacobs. Thank you for putting that in there. Uh, and again, XBO really well positioned, like Kansas City Southern. And and like JB Hunt, they've got a five, they've got a billion dollars in cash, uh, and a five hundred million dollar revolver that they haven't touched. Yeah, so a lot of liquidity. Yeah, and then but they've taken their, their strategic alternatives. Yep, that's true. Off the that's table, true. they did that uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about it last week, right? We did. Yep, that was last week, or is that two weeks ago? I think it was we two talked, weeks ago. We talked two, about yeah, two weeks ago. We talked about eight Ks and the filings of eight Ks, and that's something we will uh, keep on top of as we move through earnings seasons. Uh, and and basically, we'll probably see a few more companies across all industries. You've seen, if you have a credit revolver, any company that has a credit revolver or access to a predetermined credit agreement, have been pulling those down, and those probably continue. XPO hasn't yet, but they're they're probably on the more safe side of of credit facilities, you know, credit uh, agreements. Regarding credit revolvers, it's either that if you need it, everybody is drawing it down, but if you don't need it, they go ahead and make it a point to say, we have it in case we need it. You know, they're, exactly they're, right. They're putting it in their, their earnings calls that to say that we have a good liquidity position because mm-hmm. we've got all this debt that we haven't touched uh, because everybody thinks that this is going to be a tough time. This is going to be a tough summer. Yeah, and if you read Brad Jacobs' letter, uh, he kind of reinforces it's going to be a lost year, so you need as much liquidity as, as possible to, to make it through it. And it goes back to PPP. You know, PPP is all about uh, liquidity, having liquidity to, to keep your operations going, keep people on payroll. Uh, I think there might be a deal that have that, that they reached today, maybe already today. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, for another $250 billion, uh, that's breaking news. I can I can see it up here on the TV. Some So... Gotcha. Uh, well, Kevin, you want to discuss a little bit what's going on the pricing power in the in the spot rate or in the spot markets and, and in the market overall. We have the DHL supply chain pricing power index that came out last Thursday. We fell twenty points, Kevin. The one of the biggest one week drops ever, uh, down to twenty five. Not not quite all the way to the shippers, but about uh, more than halfway of the power to uh, to the shippers. About halfway to power to the the shippers. Uh, uh, twenty five, right? Yeah, twenty five. So yeah, dead, yeah. dead halfway. Uh, oh, dead halfway. Okay. Yes. I was thinking balance market. Yeah, but, balance uh, market would be 25. 50. We're at 25. I mean, so I it's been very volatile the over the last uh, six, seven weeks. We had three moves consecutively, three weeks in a row, 15 points. Got us up to 65. And has it been two weeks that we've we've got back down to 25 or three? Yeah, we've had, we had a 25-point uh, drop and then a 20-point drop. Yeah, so, so, yes. so I, I think we we may go lower. I think we, we, we may go, go lower over the, the the two or three weeks. I mean, basically, I, I know states are starting to to want to open up, but that's still two or three weeks out. It'll take two or three more, you know. So it's going to probably stay volatile. 
Yeah, so you know, let's talk about volumes a little bit. We we touched on the uh, the Fuller Strickland debate whether they're going to be above ninety three hundred by May fifteenth. Right now, they're they're somewhere. I think they're around eighty six hundred, uh, which is you know it's looking like Labor Day volumes. But rejections are another thing. That's this is the lowest the outbound tender rejection index has ever been. It's at three point five one percent, meaning that between three and four loads out of every one hundred are being rejected. That's showing that carriers are pretty much accepting any and everything at contracted rates. Yeah, and to put that in historical perspective, uh, most of 2018, we were at above 20%. So more than 20 loads out of every 100 or one out of five right. loads were being rejected. Uh, now, you know, it's three or four out of 100, and those are historic lows. And, and Michael Vincent and I were talking about it on earlier today on the coronavirus freight market update. And, you know, it can't go negative, it can't really go to zero. I mean, right. I guess theoretically it could. Yeah. Uh, so, so what is the real well, like full employment? Right. Full employment isn't sure. that everyone has a job. It's just statistically. Yep. The the, the pool is 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 maxed out. So, uh, what's full employment or full right? Okay. Rejection? Full, yeah, full, full full overcapacity. Yeah. Full capacity. Okay. Yeah. Full capacity. I see. That's um, a good debate in, in the market. I mean, it's not going to be zero. Is it two percent? Is it three percent? I think we're pretty. We both agreed. I think we're pretty well close to to that number. Yeah, I mean, we've touched this. The four percent mark has been almost like a support line mm-hmm. uh, for this index of the last three years. It had gotten close to that four percent mark a couple times. It had dipped its toe below four, but really hasn't hasn't stick, hasn't been below four for for a long time at any at any point in the three years. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right. I think we are getting close to that floor of what app on tender rejections would actually look like uh, at a full level. I think you're right. Yeah, uh, and then Pretty spot rates. I mean, spot rates have adjusted to this dynamic. I mean, they, I, I was, what was looking it at last year. Yeah, yeah. So last, last week, week when we did this, uh, when we when I wrote the uh, pricing power index, ninety seven of the one hundred lanes that truckstop.com provides spot rate data for and sonar were negative week over week. So all but three, and the three that were positive were very short. There were three of the shortest. Uh, uh, yeah, like lanes. Laredo to Houston, yeah. and the, there's a couple more that were uh, Detroit to Chicago. I think was yeah. an, another one. So there are you know three four hour drives. Yeah. Uh, so very Day short drives. short hauls um, that that were that there were there only three positive. Yeah, so we, we will see where it goes this week. We'll be reporting that again on Thursday. I'm I'm predicting another drop. Don't know how far, but uh, I think the shippers are going to enter uncharted territories of pricing power uh, dominance here for the next couple of weeks. And I bet you they don't really want to. Either. No, I think they'd much rather be because yeah, uh, those be are going to be on very low more pro- volume, low volume, right? Yeah. And like historically low volume. So I think they'd rather be in a hot market uh, back in 2018, just trying to get trucks in there than. Uh, then, then have their their volumes maybe slash twenty thirty percent. Yeah, I know I would. Uh, so, Kevin, here we are. We're, we have we have made our way to long short. Uh, I've got two for you this week. Uh, one is the the first one is topping on to uh, to XBO a little bit, piggybacking off of our discussion about their good liquidity and their proven ability to make acquisitions. They've already made one this year that kind of surprised people. It kind of came out of the blue. In the UK, right? They, yeah, a, uh, it was a European, um, a British company. Do you think? That XBO makes another acquisition before this year is over. I, you know, I don't think so. I think it's be it's a hard environment. It reminds me of the Great Recession uh, where M and A just died, and I think it's going to be hard to, to attach a value to to any business uh, right now, especially a long term mm-hmm. value. I know the stock market does right, but how accurate is the stock market right now? You know, it's it's very volatile. 
So yeah, they, they can't really attach values to uh, to the company. So it's going to be hard, especially in the private market. Uh, if it is a private company, that it's going to be hard to attach va- a value to anything. It's be hard to get credit for anything, even for XBO. So I, I'll go short that. I'm long it. I think yep. Brad Jacobs, uh, I think he's an opportunistic guy. I think he sees, uh, although it is difficult to value a company in this down market mm-hmm. right now, I think he'll find a way. I, I don't know if it'll be a European company or American, but I think he's just sitting on too much cash. I think I think he's a busy he's a busy mind. He's probably a little bored right now uh, during this time. So, I th- yeah. yeah, I think he ends up, I think XBO does pull the trigger on something uh, by the end of the year. And then the next long shorts is oil. We're going to talk a little bit about. I read an I read an opinion piece uh, in an Asian Times, uh, in an Asian Times website that that said that he doesn't think oil will ever reach the the forty dollars per barrel again. I'll go a little bit higher than that. I'll say fifty dollars per barrel. There are some other issues in the oil industry besides COVID nineteen, of course. Kevin, do you think that oil prices ever really fully recover? Do you think they get back to fifty dollars a barrel? Yes. No, I you want to reason? Yeah, I want to reasons, uh, you know. of course. Uh, you know, I mean, basically, uh, on, you're going to go into supply and demand. I know that peak consumption, all of that, which uh, I'm not going to disagree with anything you say uh, about that. What I will say is that you have supply and demand, but it is kind of a store of value, like gold is. Like, it's, it's, very, it's very much a speculative market, and I think that... Uh, it has a lot to do with the value of currencies as well. Like, you know, the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency, but it has a lot to do with, with other currencies and, and kind of the relation between all of that. So I think uh, you might get into some hyperinflation or inflationary scenario. So, yes, I, that's my answer. So you're, you're saying you're long because of the thought that uh, of, of hyperinflation, all of this liquidity, all this fiscal and, mm-hmm. and all the stimulus. Okay. It's a store of value. Okay. Uh, I am going to go short, and you're right. I'm going to play the supply and demand card. Uh, I, yes, I do think we're past peak demand. That was, I think, 2015 was past, was our peak global demand uh, peak for oil. Uh, I also think that there's an incredible oversupply right now. This is why the Saudis and the Russians got in the, first, in the price war to begin with. I think that those issues probably persist for much longer than COVID does. I think this is going to be an ongoing issue between the Saudis and the Russians and, and the U.S. The U.S. is going to pressure uh, the Saudis to uh, to push oil prices higher, while Russia says they can go with a $25 barrel of oil f- for years. So I don't think we ever see. I think that if this may even, this COVID-19 may push us quicker towards the electric vehicle um, revolution that is coming. Uh, I do. I think, I, I don't know if oil ever fully rebounds to this $60 a barrel, what it was most of last year. I, you know, I, I've seen, I, I, I grew up in Oklahoma in the 80s during the oil depression there. Uh, I've seen it at, at talk of 150, you know. <sighs> I, I've seen it now close at negative $37 on a contract. Yeah, I've seen it all. I mean. I, it, it'll come back. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's no denying It might that. take decades, but it'll come back. Oof, decades then. Well, okay, that, that's uh, we'll, we'll keep that debate going next week. But let's talk a little bit about what we got going on the rest of the week. Uh, freight Intel has a paper that just came out last Friday. It is the Q2 freight market outlook. We give our outlook for intermodal, for trucking, for maritime, air, everything all in one place there. Uh, you can find that at FreightWaves.com forward slash passports. Uh, and then we also got, what do you guys got coming up on Put That Coffee Gown tomorrow at noon? We had Tuna and I have How to Not Fall Into That price trap with okay. shippers, whether you're a carrier or a freight broker, how to defend your prices, how to build value. And it's going to be very interesting because, I mean, basically with volumes, it's like a race to the bottom. Everyone's underbidding everyone else. 
But how how do you get out of that game and get into a game of building value for for your customers? So it'll that'll be an be, exciting show. Yeah, that'll be great. You got any guests on tomorrow? Uh, we do. Ryan Schreiber from Carrier Direct. I hope he hasn't cut who, the beard. I hope he hasn't either. Uh, either. And Carrier Direct is a great partner for this show. And yep, a shout, great out, contributor. shout out Diane CEO. Yeah, she so, gave us some yep, research for Diane. this. Uh, and then for the rest of the week, we got what Freightonomics coming up tomorrow with Zach Strickland and Anthony Smith. That'll be at uh, 2 p.m. And then we got a, a coronavirus update then on Thursday at Thank noon you. and what the truck finished the week off at noon on Friday. And then uh, tomorrow at, I think, 4 o'clock is with Sonar. With, uh, with Sonar, that's right. With, with, Luke with and, the Miami and, boy. Yeah. And the yeah, Miami boys. And, and, and Kyle right. Luke, Taylor. Luke and Kyle Taylor will be uh, the Sonar and Sonar updates. Well, good stuff, guys. This has been the real episode twenty-five. Uh, our 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 milestone is now officially in the books. I thought it was in the books last week, but here we are, passing episode twenty-five. We are on a six-day, twenty-three-hour break. Yes. See you next week, guys. Mm-hmm.